a healthy balance, this is Industry Focus. It's December 9th, 2015. I'm your host, Christine Hargis. You are listening to the healthcare episode of Industry Focus. I've got Todd Campbell, one of our Motley Fool healthcare contributors on the line, and wanted to go no further before saying that yesterday was Todd's birthday. So happy birthday, Todd. Thank you very much. I'm a year older, and uh, but I, I feel a year younger, so I, I've got that going for me. And a year wiser, too. That's how that works, right? <laughs> <You know. laughs> so buckle up, uh, listeners. We are digging into some pretty nitty-gritty financials today. Specifically, we want to talk about the balance sheet. In my mind, you can split drug developers into two categories, those that are a little bit more established and those that are not as much. So our conversation today is really going to focus more on some of the more established companies, but that means that a lot of what we're covering today is applicable across all of big pharma and and pretty much any company with a good established portfolio of drugs that has money coming in, um, as opposed to some of these tiny biotechs that we talk about where when you look at them, you really want to focus on things like cash burn. So that's a whole different story. So before we get into any company specifics, what exactly is a balance sheet? A balance sheet, you know, first of all, let me start by saying that most investors tend to focus on the sexier numbers, revenue growth, EPS growth, and the balance sheet sometimes gets forgotten. Okay, What I think is very important, though, uh, when investors are considering healthcare companies, to consider the balance sheet as a, a very easy to look at, simple to use tool for figuring out, is the company financially healthy? Because in any given quarter, you can put up you know, solid revenue growth or solid EPS growth. And you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that the company is going to be able to pay its bills over the long haul. So what the balance sheet does is it shows you how much a company has in assets. It shows you how much a company owes. And then it shows you how much equity shareholders have in that company. So essentially what you have is you have three different pieces of the puzzle. You have assets and assets will always equal liabilities plus equity. Okay, but the thing that the big takeaway here is that assets are things like cash, property, plant, equipment, things that, you know, can be liquidated. Liabilities are things that people owe, like long term debt, borrowings, those type of things. Yeah. And the other good thing that's included on the balance sheet is the distinction between short term and long term for a lot of these items. So you can really get a picture of do does this company owe a lot of money in the next year or does it have a lot of long term liabilities? And same thing with assets as well. Uh, meanwhile, you can find these companies' balance sheets on the SEC's Edgar website, which a quick Google search will get you to. Um, from there, just find the 10Ks, 10Q filings, and you can find the balance sheets in them. So we figured it would be helpful to talk about some specific companies just to get a sense of how you would compare a balance sheet between several different companies. So the two that we wanted to highlight are Pfizer and Bristol-Myers Squibb, which you'll hear us refer to as Bristol, BMY, um, easier than saying the whole thing. So the common thread between these two companies is that they're partners on a next-generation blood thinner called Eliquis. Uh, Eliquis was approved in late 2012 and has had kind of a slow ramp up, but it's doing really well now. Last quarter alone, there was, um, I want to say, mid, yeah, 466 million in sales of last quarter um, for Eliquis. So that's your, your common thread there. 
Yeah, you know, you look at drugs that are growing very quickly. It's very hard for blockbuster drugs, billion-dollar drugs, to, to, to keep growing fast because obviously they're being used in more and more patients. But, you know, Eliquis is a very interesting drug because, you know, warfarin has been used as the mainline anticoagulant uh, for patients for 50 years. Uh, and now Eliquis, which is a factor XA inhibitor, works very differently. Um, is starting to really eat into that market share. You know, that sales have doubled in the last year. So you look at it, you say, okay, we've got a company where sales are more than doubling uh, on the, on a drug. Which of these two companies, and they split, you know, profit on this drug equally, which of these two companies might be the better investment if I want to have exposure to this drug? One of the ways you can help determine that is by looking at the financial health of the company, which we've already established involves checking out the balance sheet. Exactly. So with that, let's dig right in. One of the first metrics that I like to look at when I'm considering a balance sheet is called the current ratio. So the current ratio basically tells you whether or not a company can pay back its short-term liabilities using its short-term assets. How exactly is this calculated? This is a quick and dirty, it's a great ratio uh, for investors to look at just to say, okay, if creditors come knocking, how likely is it that the company is going to be able to pay them. So it's it's a great, it's like a measure of liquidity, okay? It tells you whether or not a company is likely a year from now or within this year to, to remain solvent. Um, if you have a current ratio that is below one, you should be nervous. If you have a current ratio above one, it's okay. Of course, so, and you can tell that just from looking at the actual calculation of current assets divided by current liabilities, that one is really your benchmark there of can you meet these obligations with current liquidity? Right. And again, investors don't have to do this calculation on their own unless they want to. Um, plenty of websites that are free online um, will provide this to you under key statistics or some other um, area of their website. And so when you look at the two companies that we've been talking about, uh, Pfizer has a current ratio of 1.61, which sounds pretty good. You know, that's above one. But then you look at Bristol and they are posting 1.81. So advantage Bristol there. Yeah, advantage to Bristol on this measure. But it is important to note that both of these companies look good on this measure. You know, again, above one means that you're not there's no short term risk uh, to them being able to, to handle their obligations. Um as an aside, too, because you may run into this as an investor and you're, you're considering healthcare stocks, if you end up with a current ratio that's too high, um, that could be uh, a sign that they're having a hard time figuring out what to do with their money. Um, and they're not reinvesting that money in something that's going to provide uh, net income growth down the line. So you almost want to have a Goldilocks kind of current ratio. And I usually define that as between one and three. So both of these companies are fine at 1.61, 1.62 for Pfizer and 1.81 for Bristol. But we'll give the edge to Bristol on this one. Sounds good. Uh, next ratio that we had wanted to talk about was debt to equity. Uh, so this, this one basically tells you how much debt is being used to finance your assets relative to your equity. Right. I mean, one of the things that's very important to figure out is where is money coming from and is that money being used well, is it is it helping to grow the company or not? And one of the things that I like to consider uh, is the debt to equity ratio. There are various ratios that you can look at, debt to assets, etc. I happen to prefer the debt to equity ratio because it's telling me how much of the money is being financed by loans and how much is being financed 
by investors. Okay. Again, if you have a debt ratio, debt to equity ratio that's above a hundred percent, it makes you wonder a little bit because you're saying, okay, well, there's a lot of debt on the books here um, relative to to how much money has come from uh, investors via retained earnings or um, or, or the stock offering uh, initially. So. In the case of these two companies, um, what you want to find is you want to find a debt to equity ratio that is below 100%. Lower is typically better than higher. Um, and again, since both of these are very big companies, um, you know you shouldn't fault them for having some debt. So again, somewhere between zero and 100% is great. And Christine? Would you do the honors and tell us what those numbers are? I'd love to. So Pfizer clocks in at 58.18 and BMY comes in at 47.69. So that's right in that sweet spot that you're talking about. And the advantage, again, goes to Bristol. Yeah, Bristol-Myers edges out Pfizer on this metric again. So we now have it edging out Pfizer on the current ratio, and we now have it edging out on debt-to-equity ratio. Now, there's another point or another takeaway that I want to make. The reason that we're using ratios rather than absolute numbers, I mean, you could look at it and say, wow, well, you know, Pfizer has more total cash on the books, right, than Bristol-Myers. Um, or you could say Pfizer has more total debt on the books than Bristol Myers. But you got to recognize too that these are two companies that have different—they're different sizes. Okay, so you got to normalize that, and ratios allow you to do that. Okay, right, so it's a, Pfizer is almost double the size of Bristol. Yeah, so you, you can't just say, well, you know, Pfizer's got X billions of dollars more on the books than Bristol, and make a debt, you know, and have that really tell you whether or not. You know, one is more financially healthier than the other, I guess. So speaking of scale, let's touch on the white elephant here, which is the fact that Pfizer recently announced an acquisition of Allergan. And this would be the biggest ever pharma acquisition. What is is that going to do to Pfizer's balance sheet? Well, not a heck of a lot, but investors need to be aware that it could have an impact. You know, this is mostly a stock deal. They're going to, you know, Pfizer is going to become Pfizer PLC. It's going to move its headquarters over uh, to overseas um, to get some tax savings, et cetera. But there is a provision in there that allows Pfizer investors to get cash instead of shares in the newly created company. So there could be a balance sheet impact from this deal if it goes through. Um, that impact could be as much as $12 billion. Uh, it could be as little as $6 billion. It really depends on how many people decide that they want the cash and don't want to hold the combined company going forward. Because of that, um, you can argue that Bristol gets another edge because there's, more, uh, there's less uncertainty associated with what's going to happen with the balance sheet for Pfizer over the course of the next year, assuming that this deal goes through. Yeah, I would agree with that. The biggest thing right now is that we are looking at a bit of uncertainty. Whether you're in favor of this deal or not, you can't quite be sure of exactly how that $12 billion will end up affecting Pfizer's financials. Right. And, you know, one of the other things that I think are really important when you're considering, um, you know, the impacts on balance sheets and how to look at the balance sheet and what's important takeaways are from the balance sheet is to evaluate what the trend has been in the different metrics that are um, displayed in the balance sheet. Okay, so, you know, you, you got to consider, again, the current ratio is helpful. The debt to equity ratio is helpful. It's important to know what's going on with the business. Like, for example, what's happening with Pfizer and Allergan. 
But you also uh, can, can glean some insight by saying, okay, well, what's going on with the individual pieces or components of the balance sheet? Is cash, for example, growing over time? Is long-term debt, for example, falling over time? And what that can indicate to you is that, okay, you've got a company that is building up its cash that it can then use to reinvest in companies or new products, um, uh, or that it's paying down its debt and it's going to have to pay less out in interest expense and therefore could deliver more money to the net, to net income. Um, obviously, you know, if you look at the SEC website and you find a balance sheet and you look at it, it's a static number. So you're going to have to find websites that allow for charting of this information, but they're out there. And, you know, Motley Fool uh, uses Y charts, for example, to um, pull a lot of this data together and, and trend it out. Yeah, and you'll find a lot of articles on our website that include these sort of visuals so you can get a sense of what's happening with the cash position or the debt or any of these trends that you might be interested in digging into a little bit deeper. And as Todd mentioned, that's so important because it gives you more context for the company. You know, one static number can't really paint the whole picture. Um, going even beyond that about painting the whole picture, one thing that I definitely want to mention is that you can't just look at the balance sheet and say, oh my gosh, Bristol-Myers, they win here. Um, you do also want to look at the other things that you hear us talk about on the show all the time about pipeline and key drugs. So definitely take a holistic approach when you're doing your research. Uh, as always, remember that people on this program could have interest in the stocks they talk about. The Motley Fool could have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell based solely on a balance sheet and don't buy or sell based solely on what you hear. Make sure that you're doing your own research. Um, moving on from that, one thing that I think is, is kind of interesting about looking at a balance sheet is it could give you a pretty good idea of what's on a company's mind, what they're thinking strategically. One example that comes to mind recently is Gilead Sciences, who has a mountain of cash and still took on more debt to make this mountain even bigger. To me, that indicates, and, and everything that the company has said also would agree with this, that Gilead is thinking about making a move soon, maybe a, a, a pretty big splashy acquisition if if Celgene was the story last year as far as making a big acquisition gilead sciences is going to be the story in 2016 for making a big acquisition you know you don't go out and tap the markets for 10 billion dollars uh when you already got you know 15 billion on the books uh, unless you're thinking about doing something uh, relatively big. Now, granted, you're, you're doing it at a time before interest rates rise. You're getting this money cheaply. Um, you can use it for buyback programs. You can use it to shore up dividends, all those other things as well. But it certainly would say to me that they're out there hunting. And if they're out there hunting, um, based on what you know management has said in the past, I would be looking at companies that are phase two, um, between phase two and phase three, uh, not necessarily with products on the market, but something that could move the needle. Don't know if it's going to be cancer, if it's going to be cardiovascular, I don't know. But something along those lines tends to be what they've focused on in the past and have indicated they'd focus on again. Yeah, it'll certainly be interesting. And that's another reason to keep an eye on this balance sheet. I mean, maybe this could give us some sort of indication of just how big the scale of the deal that they're looking at is. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so one last quick uh, example that we wanted to throw out here before we sign off for the day is mankind and their pretty horrible current ratio. Todd, do you want to dig into that? Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the reasons 
that it's helpful when we're diving into a balance sheet, you know, just to show real-time examples of how this could have helped me as an investor, right? So you look at it and you say, okay, well, how would the current ratio really have helped me either get into stock or avoid a stock? And in the case of mankind, it would have helped you avoid it because mankind's current ratio has been below one all year long. So despite all of the uh, the hope and the optimism that perhaps um, their inhalable insulin drug would, would reach critical mass and, and help you know drive the companies uh, into the future. The fact that it was just you know the current ratio was too it was below one. I mean they just didn't have enough assets um, that if anything went wrong they could cover their uh, obligations and you know that would have saved a lot of investors a lot of money just by taking that extra second or two to, to look up the current ratio in the company and say, you know what, I'm going to let this stock prove itself to me before I go in and invest in it. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's easy to tell a story, especially when you're talking about healthcare and you're talking about drugs that can save people's lives or at the very least vastly improve them. And while we would love to say every single innovative drug is going to change the world, this company is going to make billions and billions of dollars, Sometimes that's just not the case. I, mean, I think Mankind is a really good example here of a company that just doesn't have a financial situation that looks very promising. So that's about yeah. all the time that we have for today. Um, thank you, Todd, so much for being here, as always. Listeners, I hope you found this helpful. Um, it, as Todd mentioned earlier, like, this isn't the most sexy episode we've ever done, but it is super, super helpful to be able to dig into a balance sheet if, as you're sinking your teeth in, you have some questions for us, feel free, as always, to email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Thanks so much for listening.